I want to welcome you to church. I'm believing that this is going to be a great night and a great experience for you as we continue in our bold series. And we're really working towards what God has called us to do, which is build the kingdom of God. That involves expanding our Ahwatukee campus, expanding our Mesa campus. You saw the building there. We're also expanding our outreach ministries, starting a Hope House, it's called, in the valley that helps moms who are pregnant and single in crisis. Well, we're going to come alongside them and support them in that season. All of that is a part of the mission that we have. It's to change the community for Jesus. So this bold series has been excited. God is speaking to people's hearts. What I'm going to do right now is ask the experience team to come and pass out the bold commitment cards. And maybe you're new to church this week and you're like, what's going on right now? (laughs) Um, Don't worry. Just take one of these cards and take it home. It's fine. But for our church family, we've been talking about this. And these cards, what we're going to do is take them home. We're going to pray and ask God how we should participate in this series or in this next season. And in order for this building to get built, God's people are going to have to trust him and give. We're going to believe that God is able and that he wants to use us. And we want to be obedient and give what he leads us to give. No one's going to pressure you or guilt trip you. But what we say is ask God and do what he says. Amen. Then give joyfully and cheerfully and trust God to do good things in your life. So what you're going to do is take this card home. And you're going to pray over it. And what we're doing is making 24-month commitments. 24-month commitments. This is above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings. And if you've never given to kingdom builders before, this might be a first for you. It might be stretching your faith. And God's going to teach you a new level of understanding about generosity and blessing. It's going to be amazing. And if you've already given to kingdom builders, this is a reset We're starting fresh, starting next week, so we're making new commitments. It's our best commitment going forward so that we can build this church. And also next Sunday, when we bring that card, we're going to bring our best offering, our first fruits offering, we're calling it. And that basically means out of your total commitment, whatever you're able to give up front, we'd ask you to do that if you're able. Some people would say, I can't give any of it yet. That's okay. Other Other people would say, I can give this much or this much. Do whatever God leads you to do. But we have initial expenses that you're going to help us to cover when you give um, in this offering next week. It's going to be a powerful time as we all come together and make these commitments as God's people as we give. And then we're going to get to see our landscape change out here, which is going to result in people's lives changing out there. It's going to be a little scary, but if it wasn't scary, it wouldn't require boldness. Amen. So we're going to continue in Nehemiah chapter 2 tonight. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're reading about Nehemiah, who has heard that there is a problem in Jerusalem where he has, his, his ancestors are from, and the city walls have been destroyed, the gates have been torn down, and that was not good in those days. If you didn't have city walls, your city was in trouble, it was dishonorable, it was a disgrace, you were vulnerable to the attacks of any enemy that might come against you. And when he heard about this, Nehemiah was heartbroken and troubled. He prayed to God, God gave him peace and hope, and that gave him boldness, and he began to plan, and he began to pray about how he could make a difference in rescuing God's people from their trouble and disgrace. And so he went to the king. The king blessed his plan to go back to his homeland and rebuild the walls. We're picking up in chapter 2, verse 9. He's now arrived home. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, 
had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. So Nehemiah shows up, and there are these two guys that are mentioned, Sanballat and Tobiah. Anybody named Sanballat is obviously someone you shouldn't trust. That's clearly a villain. It just makes sense. And they weren't happy to see Nehemiah there because they were governing officials in the region, and they wanted the Israelites to stay weak so that they could continue oppressing them. They didn't want God's people to grow strong. They wanted them vulnerable. They wanted them weak. And you need to understand that when you start to do God's will for your life, you shouldn't be uh, surprised when the enemy is not pleased with this. You shouldn't be surprised when the enemy gets stirred up as you begin to follow God's call on your life. Man, next thing you know, here come the Horonites and the Ammonites and the Parasites and the Cellulites. They all come out. They're mad. And you can feel a little overwhelmed at times. Like, man, the enemy... The enemy is attacking me because I'm trying to do God's will. But you need to look at this story. I think it's interesting. The king, it says, he sent army officers and horsemen. He sent the infantry and the cavalry to protect Nehemiah. And I would say if a godless human king will send bodyguards to protect his servant, how much more will the God of heaven send angels and his spirit to protect us and go before us as we seek to do his will? Nehemiah went out ready to build the walls and he had nothing more than the king's blessing and determination and he was able to make a difference. We go out into our community. We're ready to make a difference. We're ready to build and we have the spirit of our king living inside of us and empowering us to actually be who God made us to be and do what he called us to do. So we should be able to live boldly and with bold faith as God's people because his spirit is inside of us and we know we are doing what he called us to do. Amen? Amen. Nehemiah, he arrives in Jerusalem and we know that he went out, he started surveying the city and he was taking it all in and looking at the ruins and the, the decay and the rubble. And then he begins to address the people in verse 17. It says, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Okay, here's what Nehemiah said. You guys, you know how much trouble we're in here. This is crazy. We don't have any defenses. We have no security. We've got to end this disgrace. And I think it's a powerful thing as we consider the people in our community who are defenseless, they're in trouble, they're in bondage to sin. They're trapped by the enemy. And and I think many of you can remember the times in your life when Before you met Jesus, you were in bondage to sin. You were trapped. You didn't probably even realize at the time that you were in bondage until Jesus opened your eyes and allowed you to to see. Today, there are so many people in this community. God wants you to be a part of reaching them. I'm talking about your family members and neighbors and coworkers. You know their faces. You know their names. This is a tragedy that these people are living in bondage to sin. Our kids are growing up in a world that hates the truth. 
hates the truth because the truth is that there's only one true God. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to eternal life. It's through Jesus. The world doesn't like that. They'll say, like, well, that's your truth. No, there's only one truth. We're building something here that will shine as a light in the darkness. And like Nehemiah, we're saying, let's end this disgrace. And this is the first thing I want to teach you about faith tonight. Faith is the remedy for disgrace. Faith is the remedy for disgrace. I remember when I was growing up in Kansas and we had a community pool. Did any, any of you go to a community pool when you were growing up? You saw all your friends there and your schoolmates and people from the block at the community pool enjoying all the fun things that they had there, water slides and diving boards. And there I was, a young kid at the pool, sunscreen, chubby, floaties. And I would watch as the cool kids would do amazing tricks off the high dive. You know, like triple back flips, quadruple double front flips. I don't even know what they were doing. It was just so impressive. And I thought, I want to be like that. I want to be one of the cool kids. I am going to go up that high dive, and I'm going to show the world that I have arrived. And I climbed up there, and I'll tell you what, when I got up on that high dive, I didn't feel so bold anymore. I looked around, and I thought, I've made some poor life choices and got myself in over my head. But now the problem is all these people are down there, and they're just kind of watching as they do. And I knew that, man, I can't climb down. That would be even more disgraceful. I've got to just go for it. And I can't even just jump off this high dive because I told my friends, I'm going to do a flip. I've got to follow through or else they'll say I wimped out. So I lumbered forward and I jumped and I started to flip. I just remember, I remember it, you know, it was just like yesterday. My moment of glory, I was doing it. The thing is, I only made about half a flip. And I came around and landed smack on my back. And it echoed. I think it actually broke the sound barrier. And I kind of had an out-of-body experience in that moment. As I looked down on myself, writhing in pain, people laughing, me almost drowning trying to act like I was okay when I clearly was not. I was just trying to live. I was wanting to swim to the side of the pool, and I was thinking the lifeguard's probably going to have to save me because I'm about to drown because I'm in so much pain right now. My dad's there like, son, are you okay? Thank God the water covered my tears up, right, because I was crying. I was disgraced. It was clearly a disgrace. And Nehemiah, he first recognized the people in his community were troubled and they were disgraced. But without faith, him recognizing their trouble wouldn't have made a difference. He had to have the faith to go to the king and ask for help. He had to have the faith to actually travel home. He had to have the faith to face opposition. Without faith, the disgrace would have continued. There are so many people in our lives, in our community, who they blunder through life looking for something to satisfy them and give them joy and make them feel purpose. And they pursue the next thing and the next thing. They don't realize they're just going from backflop to backflop. And all they find is pain and disgrace. And it's faith that ends our disgrace. Disgrace literally means no grace. If you have no grace, you need 
grace. And the only way to get it is through faith. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And what does it mean to receive God's grace? Grace means you're receiving the gift that God has given you, and it represents every good thing that God has for you. His favor, that he adopts you into his family, that he forgives your sins, that he honors you as his child, he restores you in relationship, he blesses you throughout your life. The people of Israel, they needed a home. They needed their disgrace to be ended. They needed grace. They needed to be safe. They needed to be honored among the people of the world as God's chosen people. The people of Arizona that live around us, they need to come home spiritually. They need to end their disgrace. And we can experience new life in Jesus and end our disgrace only through our faith. It's faith. It's our faith as a church. Those of you that this is your church, it's our faith to actually follow the Lord where he's leading us and do what he's called us to do that begins the process of ending disgrace. We're creating a place that people can come and find Jesus. They can find grace. You see what I'm saying? That faith is the remedy for disgrace? Here's the next thing, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. Because back when we talked about in the first week about how Nehemiah talked to the king, man, it went so well. Nehemiah had no place talking to the king or bringing up his own concerns, but he told the king, I'm troubled, my people are in trouble, and I want to go help them. And the king allowed him to go, and not only allowed him, but promised to supply him with what he needed to accomplish this mission. You know, he told the people there in Israel, like, you guys, the king gave me paid time off, and he sent me here to build these walls. Can you believe that this happened? And I'm sure as he was building those walls, he thought back on times that God had helped other people build, about how Solomon built the temple with God's help. And I bet that thinking back on what God had done encouraged him to keep doing what he was doing there and then. And I want to make this next point. History builds our faith. History builds our faith. People will tell you to leave the past in the past. And that's true to some extent because most often we think about the past and we focus on our past hurts and our past failures and our past mistakes and disappointments. And so the past can be our enemy. But when we focus instead on our past victories, the past is our ally and it builds our faith. History builds our faith. So as we build this building that God has called us to build, it can be scary. Honestly, it is a little scary. There's a lot at stake. It requires money. It requires everyone participating. And and it makes me nervous somewhat as a pastor. But what helps is to consider history. And I think about growing up and watching my dad, who was a pastor, lead his church that was smaller than our church to give in faith and to trust God and to build the kingdom. They gave generously and they stretched and God provided and God did miracles. And that's why we're sitting in this building right now. And I'll tell you, when I was growing up during that season, my parents were sacrificing and we weren't going on expensive vacations and they weren't saving for retirement during that time, but they were giving. And I learned that sacrifice is worth it when the cause is great, 
like this is. And I think about what they did. That builds my faith. I think about my father-in-law, Pastor Paul, who built by faith. He led his church to build what's now our Awatuki campus. They were there with not as many people as we have today, and they needed a bigger space so they could make room for more people. And they gave and they trusted God, and God used their faith to build what's now our Awatuki campus. And when you think about all that sacrifice and stuff, do you think it's worth it? You think it was worth it? We wouldn't be here right now if they hadn't done it. So I think about what God did for them, how he used them, and how the people were used by God as they gave generously, and it builds my faith. I think, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. It builds my faith. And I know if he did it then, he can do it again. If he did it for them, he can do it for us. He's the same yesterday and today and forevermore. He wants to use you. You're going to build a, a building that's going to change the world. Come on. I need to, I need to get this under control right now. <laughs> it's going to be incredible as the next generation tells a story about what happened here right now. And the kind of story they tell is determined by what we do in this next season. You know, there is a possibility that they could tell a story that we don't want to hear. They could say, man, I remember growing up this one time when my parents, my grandparents' church was trying to build some building, and I don't really know what happened, but it didn't work out. I wonder what happened to that church. Or they could tell another story and say, I remember when my parents, my grandparents, my uncles, my aunts, the church, they trusted God and they gave generously and they stepped out in faith. And kids, that's why we have the amazing church family that we have today. That's the kind of story I think they're going to tell because we have bold people in this church who are willing to trust God. In verse 18, Nehemiah told them what had happened. And it says, they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And I want to highlight those two words there. They, and they said, let's, let us rebuild the wall. There was multiple people there. There were many people there. And they responded in unity. It wasn't like one guy was like, yeah, let's do it. And everybody else was like, shh, be quiet. No, we don't want to do it. It's too risky. They replied in unity. And I want to encourage you that when we as a church stand together in unity, yeah. it really encourages us and builds our faith. This is the third point I want to make. Unity multiplies our faith. It multiplies our faith. And that's why it's so important for God's people to dwell together in unity. Isn't it funny how when you know you have backup, that builds your boldness, right? Remember growing up on the playground as a young boy, you know, walk around with your buddies all confident, got your bros with you, chest puffed out, don't mess with us. That's my swing set. You want some? What? That's what boys do. All the ladies right now are like, what are you talking about? That's what boys do. And then when you're on your own, you know, you're like, 
oh, no, I'm good. You guys go ahead. Whatever. I don't want to fight. It's all good. <laughs> when you have backup, it makes you bolder. Because unity multiplies our faith, and we see this in nature. We see that geese fly in formation. They fly south in a V formation. Snowbirds don't come south in the V formation, but they do come south, (laughs) and we love them. But geese fly south in the V formation because it allows them to fly 71% further than they could on their own, scientists say. See, because the geese that fly in the rear of the formation have an easier time because those in the front break the wind. They create less wind resistance for those who are behind following. And so that makes it easier for them. And do you know that the, the geese that fly in the back are slightly above those that are in the front? Because those in the front, as they flap, it creates an updraft that actually makes it easier for the geese behind them to fly. They don't have to work as hard. Scientists have actually put heart rate monitors on birds and tested that birds that fly alone have higher heart rates and they have to flap more frequently in order to stay airborne. We're talking about birds right now. (laughs) And there are some Christians, right? They spend their whole lives doing this alone, living for God alone. And yeah, maybe you're saved and you're going to go to heaven, but you're living out your life alone and you're struggling and you're working unnecessarily hard because you refuse to participate in community. And you hear your pastor get up on stage and be like, you should be in a life group. It's good for you. It will bless you. It will help you. It will make you stronger. You'll be more effective for God. And you're tempted to say, I can't do that. I'm too busy. That'll take too much time. It's too much work. And you don't realize that you're having to work harder to survive in every other part of your life because you're not willing to put aside a few hours a month. You need to be in community. I want to encourage some of you that you might be the first person in your family tree that has accepted Jesus and is following him. You might be the first. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian household. Maybe you grew up in a really rough household and you're the first person that accepted Jesus. You need to know that what's happening right now is going to change the course of future generations because the generation that follows behind you is going to receive the benefit of your faith. You're creating an updraft for them that's going to allow them to fly higher and go further. They're not going to have to start from ground zero, clawing their way from the bottom. They get to start out standing on your shoulders, which lets the next generation do even more than what we are able to do. And that's the way that is meant to work. When you think about this bold campaign and making financial commitments, if you thought you were the only one who was going to give and sacrifice, that would be very discouraging to you. That would not build your faith. (laughs) But I need you to know, you're not the only one. It's going to require a community, all of God's people, our whole church family, contributing and trusting and sacrificing and obeying what God tells us to do. You need to know you're not alone. And I just want to encourage you, unity multiplies our faith. We need to have a, a moment of unity, I think, so that We can encourage each other in our faith. And here's what I want to do right now. If you're planning to give to the bold campaign through Kingdom Builders, maybe you're like, I don't know how much yet. Maybe it's a little. Maybe it's a lot. I'm still praying about it. Um, Maybe I'm not even 100% sure I'm going to, but I'm feeling pretty sure that God is telling me I should. If you're planning to give to that, 
I want to ask you just go ahead and raise your hand right now. Okay, a lot of hands are raised. And if your hand's not raised, that's okay. But if your hand's raised, I want you to note that and note the people around this room. How many hands went up? All services today, many, many hands went up. And that's not you making your commitment. That's next week. But that's you encouraging the other people in this room. You're not doing this alone. I've got your back. We're a team. We're a family. We're in this together. The enemy started to resist what Nehemiah was trying to accomplish. He started to criticize Nehemiah and God's people. And it says this in verse 19. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no legal right, no share, no legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. Okay, that's really important, I think. Sam Ballot and these other bad guys basically started mocking Nehemiah and planting seeds of doubt in their minds. And they kind of threw out these ridiculous criticism, like, are you planning to rebel against the king? And that was crazy. The king was the one who sent him there. But I want you to notice that Nehemiah didn't even waste breath responding to the criticisms of his enemy. Instead, he spoke the truth and focused on what God was going to do. God will help us succeed. We oftentimes get too worked up wanting to respond to criticisms and attacks. When in reality, that's just wasted energy. We need to stay focused on what God has called us to do. It doesn't matter what the enemy tries to distract us with. The enemy is going to try to plant seeds of doubt in our hearts as we trust him with our finances, when we give. He's going to come and say, man, you can't do that. (laughs) No, no, that's too much. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't want to do that. It's not going to work out. The enemy will come and plant seeds of doubt that you can't be used by God because of your past, because of your weaknesses. Oh, no, no, you can't be used by God. You can't lead. You can't do that because you know what you did and you know where you struggle. You need to know that that's all meant to distract you and get you off course. The enemy doesn't want you doing what God has called you to do. That's why you have to remind him sometimes you have no legal right to talk about my past because my defense attorney, Jesus, has already proven that I'm innocent through his blood. I'm not wasting my time with you. I trust that God is going to help me succeed in what he's called me to do. In the face of criticism, Nehemiah and the other people, they were united with each other and they responded, we are his servants. So when you think about the grace you've received through faith in Jesus, when you think about history and what God has already done for the generations that came before us, And when you think about the unity that you enjoy, all the people that stand beside you and have your back, you have every reason to be bold in your faith for Jesus. Every reason. I want to ask you this question. Are you living your bold life now? Some of you are. Okay, one person is good. That's a start. Are you living your bold life now? I want you to live your best life now by living your bold life now. There are a lot of people living bad lives. A lot of people living bored lives. Some people are living burdened lives. As Christians, we're made to live bold lives. We're created to be bold for Jesus. We're created to walk in bold faith. 
And we're all just one insecurity away from missing our opportunity. Like, think about what if Nehemiah had showed up to Jerusalem but let insecurity stop him from doing what he was there for? Like, oh, man, I can't do this. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a construction expert. I'm not even a leader. The people aren't going to follow me. This is crazy. There's enemies everywhere. How, how did I even get myself into this position? I should go back to my safe job. Forget it. This is too much. And I think oftentimes insecurity will stop us from doing what God designed us to do. So I don't know who this is for tonight. But it is time to lay your insecurities down. It is time to lay your insecurities down. It is time to stop dwelling on everything that you think is wrong with you. It's time to stop replaying your past failures over and over again in your mind. It's time to stop limiting your own potential. The potential of a tool is determined by the hand that wields it. And you are in the hands of a master craftsman. It is time to celebrate your identity as a child of God. It's time to celebrate what's great in you. It's time to push through self-imposed limitations and do what God has called you to do. You are called and gifted and chosen and favored. What does it mean to be favored, Pastor Ryan? It means that God likes you. He favors you. He can't help but smile when he thinks about you. He thinks about you and he thinks, I really like her. She is amazing. I made her after all. I really love him. He is the best. He is going to do amazing things and I'm going to help him to do amazing things. He's favored. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. And you need to know that because insecurity can stop us from going where God calls us. We think, man, there's too much opposition. The challenge is too great. I don't know if it's really my place to, to step forward into this. It's too much. No, no, no. I should just go back to my safe place. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. And I love that, that verse. It says we're more than conquerors. And then I started wondering, like, what's more than a conqueror? What does that even mean? Because <laughs> it sounds pretty great to be a conqueror. But what is more than a conqueror? And biblically, when you read scripture and you piece it together, this is what it means. A conqueror shows up to face the enemy and overcomes the opposition. So what does more than a conqueror do? He follows behind the conqueror and enjoys the victory. That's biblically what we are. We don't have to fight because Jesus has already won the victory. We're just here for the victory parade. We're just here to enjoy the benefits of being winners. We're more than conquerors. And I think of Romans 8.31 that says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Doesn't that build your confidence to do what God made you to do? And you can think of a whole lot of reasons why I shouldn't do this. I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. What if I fail? But think about what the Bible says. If God is on your side, if you're standing with Jesus, you should be getting bolder and louder and stronger. Because <laughs> who can stand against us? And I need you to understand your position as a child of God so you can start living out your purpose. And you won't be able to live out your purpose until you fully embrace the fact that you are a child of God. And once you understand your position, you'll also be able to understand God's provision. As a child of God, he is your provider. 
as your father, he has promised to provide for your needs. And it could be that as we talk about this bold campaign, there are people here who want to participate in this. And in your spirit, you, you want to be generous. You want to give. But that doubt, that insecurity, that might stop you. It might hold you back. It might cause you to question what God's calling you to do. But I want you to understand that if you're hearing God's voice, if you're hearing him lead you to be generous, he isn't going to let you fail. The very next verse, verse 32 says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Think about that, right? If God gave his son as a sacrifice to save you from sin so that he could raise you to life, so that he could teach you his ways, including how to be generous. Do you think he's going to lead you to this point in 2019 and put it on your heart to be a giver, only to watch you fail? Come on now. Would you let your kids fail like that? No. <laughs> All right, I set you up. Now go ahead. Ha, 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 you failed. You wouldn't do that. That'd be cruel. So why would a loving father in heaven bring us to this point to be generous and then let us just crash and burn. He doesn't do that. He proved his faithfulness to provide by giving his son, Jesus. That encourages me. Number four, bold faith always initiates action. This is the last thing. Bold faith always initiates action. When we have true faith, it allows us to take action. It's not real faith if it doesn't result in action. Just plain and simple. You know, we grow up doing different things that prove this. Like I think about, you know, tr uh, trust, team building. In a corporate environment, you might do a trust fall. Have you ever done that? A trust fall? Like you do one of these things and people behind you are like, all right, we'll catch you. And you're like, I don't even trust you. And you're like, no, go ahead, we'll catch you. <laughs> like, all right, here we go. <laughs> There's a reason it's called a trust fall and not a trust stand. Because it's actually the falling that proves you trust. You think about skydivers who jump out of planes because they have faith that their parachute will work. The faith is what allows them to be skydivers and not sky flyers. <laughs> faith always initiates action. Faith means nothing if it doesn't change the trajectory of your choices and your actions. Nobody remembers the people living in Bible times who lived bashful lives. We're talking about people who lived bold lives. Abraham, he left his homeland because he trusted God in faith. Noah built an ark because he had faith. He had never even seen rain. Peter stepped out of his boat because he had faith and he walked to Jesus on the water. Faith always initiates action. And this is what happened with Nehemiah. They had faith. Verse 18, they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. That showed faith and then it resulted in action. It says, so they began the good work. This would not be a very encouraging passage if it said, Let's rebuild the wall, but it never really happened. They actually took action. They did it. And we talk about being bold in this season, how we've prayed and we've planned, and now it's time for the work to actually begin. Wow. It's time for us to begin the good work. Right. And we begin the good work in this phase by giving. That's why we're taking home these commitment cards, because the next thing for us to do is to give in faith, to take action. It's going to be scary 
But that shows that we're really being bold as we give in faith. Now, as we talk about giving, I just want to encourage you. Because there could be people who are just wrestling with this. Some of you have come to me and you've said, man, I'm really just kind of wrestling and I'm praying and I, I feel like God's leading me to give, but I'm a little bit scared and I'm kind of thinking about some of the challenges in my life right now. I want to encourage you through the story of Nehemiah. I want you to think back on what we've talked about, that he went to the king to requisition supplies to build the wall. The king gave him permission to take timber from the king's forest. So when he showed up in Jerusalem, the king had provided the resources he needed to build the wall. Are you following me? So do you think he was losing sleep over coming up with supplies? No, because the king was providing the resources he needed. He just had to use them properly. What if he showed up there with all these resources that the king had given him and he said, wait, you know what, on second thought... I don't think I want to use my resources to build the wall because then I might not have enough resources. No, no, no. You don't have to worry about that because the king is the one who provided the resources and the king has more where that came from. Now think about how many Christians live out this scenario on a regular basis. God has brought us to this point at this time. And he has provided already what we need in order to give. And he will continue to provide what we need in order to give. All of the resources that we enjoy came from our king. And it's just our job to use them properly. Imagine if we came to this point and we said, wait, on second thought, if I use my resources up, I might not have enough resources. No, 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 because remember, the the king, King Jesus, is the one who gave you those resources. And if he provided before, we can trust that he will continue to provide. There's more where that came from. It's just our job to use our resources properly. Use them for Jesus to build his kingdom and watch God bless you and continue to provide because that's what he said he would do in Corinthians. He said he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you so that you can always be generous. That's why he's going to enrich you in every way and bless you when you give so that you can continue to be generous. The Bible tells us that God is our supplier. He supplies the resources we need to be bold. Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God has supplied for all of your needs through Jesus. Started when he gave Jesus as a sacrifice for your sins, and then he gave you everything else you needed. He put his spirit in you so you would be able to live for him. He provided the job you have. He provided the family you have. He provided this church family to support you. And then he, he says, all right, now I'm ready for you to be generous and give. And we just have to trust that the God who supplied for all of our needs is able to resupply for all of our needs. If he did it before, he'll do it again. He's faithful. He is able. We just have to be willing. We're here at this day and in this time to take action. We have bold faith. I'll close with this. When a crisis or an emergency happens, first responders will tell you that oftentimes people will yell and someone will cry out, call 911. But often nobody actually calls 911. 
Why? Because everyone assumes someone else is doing it already. And so responders will tell you, you have to look someone in the face and say, you, call 911. Otherwise, people will pull their phones out, but just to take video for Instagram. <laughs> like, look at this crazy accident. All these people are bleeding everywhere. Someone should do something about this. No, no, no. You, call 911. That way they know it's their responsibility. Well, here we are in this season, being bold as a church, expanding the kingdom of God, trying to be bold followers of Jesus. You might be sitting back right now watching all of this unfold, thinking, man, there is a problem. There are a lot of hurting people in this world living messed up lives. I've met a few of them. I've been one of them. Someone needs to do something about that. And I'm here to tell you, we need you to do something about that. We need you to step up. We need you to save people. We need you to take a step of faith. We need you to be bold. God wants to use you to build his kingdom. That's why you're here. Don't be one of those people just sitting back like, oh, look at Generation Church. They're building a building. That's amazing. I hope they make it. No, he has you to participate here right now. That's why you're here. He wants you to participate and be a part of this. You are the difference. You're the difference maker in this scenario between death and life, between dreams and reality. It's up to us. Nobody else is coming. And this is an exciting season for a lot of you because some of you are going to graduate in this next season. You're going to graduate from being a fan of Generation Church. You're going to become a founding partner of Generation Church. Right? Instead of just saying, man, I really like that church. You're going to be able to say, I helped build this church because of my faith. God used me, and I was able to make a difference. Will you stand to your feet? We're going to pray. And I'm just going to ask you to pray with me and lift your hearts up to God. We want to pray with bold faith. Lord, we thank you that we have this window of opportunity to be in this church at this time. And we know that you want to use us to make a difference. We're here for a purpose. You've already provided the resources we need. You will continue to provide the resources we need. It's just our job to use the resources properly. We trust you. We honor you. And we want to continue to make your name famous as people experience new life in Jesus. We have friends and family members who are lost, who are separated from you. They need the new life that we have experienced. And we believe that this church is going to make a difference. This church is going to change people's lives. God, I pray that you'll stir faith up in our hearts, that you'll stir generosity in our hearts as we leave this place, as we continue and finish up our 21 days of prayer. Will you just speak to our hearts as we pray over these commitment cards? Will you speak to our hearts? We just want to do your will, God. Nobody here wants to be pressured into giving. Nobody wants to be manipulated. But we do want to be obedient to your voice. And so, Lord, speak to us and lead us in this next season to give with faith. We want to be faithful, God, the way that you're faithful. We give you glory and honor and praise in advance for the good things that you're going to do and the lives that you're going to change through this church. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, amen and amen.